0: guys today is uh, lesson 10 the triumphant suffering of the Messiah we are looking at Isaiah chapter 53 and we've this is our third lesson in this our first lesson emphasized how the Messiah suffered the second lesson looked at why he suffered and this lesson focuses on the results of his suffering Um, We're going to see as an overview that the cross is not the end of the Messiah, it is the beginning of his exaltation. Christ, we will see, had an honorable burial. He arose again on the third day. He satisfied God in that his sufferings brought salvation to many, and his exaltation will one day culminate with his coronation as king. That's kind of the outline of the lesson. If I give you a few minutes, I want you to grab your Bibles, and let's open up to Isaiah 53, and we're going to look at some verses there. Uh, This first section we're going to look at is called the Sepulcher for the Sacrifice. So, the Sepulcher for the Sacrifice. We're looking at... um, Isaiah 53, and if you'll go down to verse 9, again we talk about Christ's agony ending with his death on the cross. Remember his final words on the cross were, it is finished, that's in John 19 verse 30, showing that that Jesus knew that his suffering was over, uh, that he had paid the price, and the redemptive process was completed. It wasn't that he was... He, you know, he couldn't do any more. It was all finished. Everything was done uh, that needed to be done. And then he asked the question, what did God plan to do with his body? Well, verse 9, uh, back in Isaiah 53, talks about that. It says his grave was assigned with wicked men. Um, one of the translations could be used one was appointed his grave with the wicked. Remember, those who had crucified him were intending to do with his body what they did with the others, the two thieves that they had crucified, was just to throw them in the trash heap. Um, When their bodies were taken down, they were just thrown away into the trash heap uh, outside of Jerusalem. Uh, However, God's divine plan told to Isaiah continues on it says yet was with a rich man in his death now if you remember the story as we go back into the New Testament um, we find both in Matthew chapter 27 uh, verses 57 through 60 and John 19 38 through 42 we find uh, the account of Joseph of Arimathea Uh, I guess you could say maybe a secret disciple. He was a rich man, and it says that he went to Pilate, and he begged for the body of Jesus, and he took it and laid it in his own new tomb, thus fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied, that he was with a rich man in death. Um, Jesus' exaltation, his, his lifting up, his his rightly recognizing truly get begins with his burial he was not buried with the common criminals he was buried as a rich man he was given an honorable burial and i guess if you want to look at that verse it gives you the idea why an honorable burial was important because as you continue reading it says because you know if you want to ask the question why was he buried with a rich man or with a rich man in death Because he had done no violence. He wasn't like the other two on the cross that was crucified with him, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He had not told any lies. When they asked him, he was honest. And so that is the first result that we see of the Messiah's suffering, that he was receiving an honorable burial with a rich man, as Isaiah had foretold. We're going to take just a second and we're going to go on here in just a moment. Another result of Christ's suffering is the Father's satisfaction. The Messiah's suffering and its accomplishment please God the Father. Now, it does, uh, one of the questions is why was it pleasing? Um, let's look at a couple verses. The first one we're going to draw our eye to is back in um, Isaiah 53, but we're going to go down to verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. Um, so we have this verse, and then we have in Ezekiel 33:11, And I'll go ahead and read that. Um, it says, say to them, As I live declares the Lord God I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that the wicked turn from his ways and live turn back turn back from your evil ways why then will you die O house of Israel so we've got these two verses that seem to be in a little bit of a conflict and how could God take no pleasure in the death of the wicked yet be pleased by the death of his spotless son well, here we might want to look at it as look at God's pleasure from the eternal perspective. It says in Isaiah, when the wicked die, they go to hell. And God does not delight in sending people to eternal torment. We see that also in the New Testament in Second Peter three nine, Even though every human justly deserves it. When Christ died for the wicked, He provided a personal way to escape hell and enter into heaven, and God, and Christ's work on the cross pleased God because it was the perfect expression of His love for His people. So that's the the first thing of under in Christ pleasing God was that He found His bruising to pleasing, as in verse fifty three ten. The second thing we see in uh, 5310. Let's draw our eye back to that. Let's go back to Isaiah 53.10. And it said, um, if I continue reading, it says, if he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days. So we see that part of it is that the Messiah's suffering culminated in his death. But Isaiah 53:10 says he shall prolong his days. So how can the days of someone uh, who dies be prolonged? Well, Christ's days were prolonged by His resurrection. Isaiah anticipated that the Messiah would not only die, but would rise again. We see that the very first sermon preached after the crucifixion by Peter presented the resurrection of Jesus as proof that he was indeed the Messiah. If you want to go read his sermon, that's Acts chapter 2, verses 25 through 31. And Peter quotes from a psalm of David and pointed to David's tomb to prove that David had not been referring to his own resurrection, but to the Messiah's. Christ himself taught about the resurrection, and all four gospel writers record his words on the subject. So we have the second area, as important as because his days are prolonged. Another point that we'll find the reason God was pleased with his, uh, su- the suffering of his son was it talks about that his suffering was productive. I'm ask you a question just to compare for a minute. Have you ever had a time when hard physical labor brought you some kind of joy or you celebrated in the, the efforts of your hand? Um, I can think of one time in um, a previous town that we lived in as a family we were involved in a, a, a roofing project. Uh, a couple Uh, Lived near our house and uh, they didn't they needed a new roof and our church uh, Brought together the supplies and we took off the old roof and we we uh, Hauled off the old roof and we put down new tar paper and new shingles and everyone worked um, As a group and yeah, it was hard work. It was hot work um and uh but it was very rewarding to see the benefits not only of just replacing the work on the roof, but the the impact it had on the couple because They began to take more pride in their home. And and over the next couple years, uh, they had invested effort into repainting the home and taking care of the lawn. And, you know, we just saw a productive uh, result of our hard work. But here, if you go back to Isaiah 53, in verse 11, you... I'm reading out of the New American Standard, and, and verse 11 starts out with, says, as the result of the anguish of his soul. Now, most of you might have some kind of little mark there next to anguish, and if you look down, you see it could also be translated toilsome labor. Uh, if you have a King James, you'll use the word travail, uh, which represents, uh Also refers to at the King James time period the pain and suffering of a woman giving birth Um, and you will if you want to draw from that particular word or the toilsome work we find that through his toil um, it says at the end of that uh, he will justify the many Uh, We are seeing that through his suffering, there is a productivity of that. That Isaiah also, in verse 10, says, as we read before, it says, he will see his offspring. Now, we know Jesus had no children, but uh, through that, his seed, as the King James used, or his offspring, uh, will become the children of God through the new birth, uh, through the travail, through the, the... the toilsome labor that he went through. Um, We uh, will see that and so we find that Isaiah prophesies that Christ's labor, what he endured, the anguish of his soul on the cross uh, brings about um, the justification of many, bringing about his ability to see his offspring, the family of God brought together under the work he has completed. We also see in this verse that God um, finds pleasure um, in 53.10. Um, it, it talks about another reference to his me- uh, the messianic suffering, and uh, it talks about um, that uh, at the end of 10 it says and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand Uh, God was pleased with um, Christ because he did his father's will remember twice uh, Jesus is said of by God this is my beloved son and I am well pleased Uh, so we we find that he follows and, and in this, uh, as it says, the, the pleasure of the Lord is prospering in his hand. And then we see several places about the, the third section we're going to go into is that the triumphant suffering is bringing about the third part. And we'll get to that here in just a second. We're going to go grab that verse and we'll be right back. So the next title break in our lesson is talking about the salvation for the seed. And we've kind of hinted at that. But, you know, that's probably the, perhaps the greatest result of Christ's suffering, at least in, in the mind of the Christian, uh, is the salvation provided. Uh, Christ died without any physical children, as I said, yet arose to produce spiritual offspring. Uh, these were born through the agony of his suffering on the cross. And Isaiah wrote that, uh, that he will see his, 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 his offspring or his seed. Um, Isaiah 53 is also written from the perspective of the Jews looking back at Christ's life and death after they come to realize that he was their Messiah, uh, they express their doubts and their misunderstandings at his sufferings, and you'll see that, and they look back and then draw your eye to isaiah fifty three the very first four verses, and I'll read those here it says, "Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? for he grew up before him like a tender shoot and out of the root of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one whom men hid their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Verse 4. Surely our griefs he bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So we see there they're shocked to see how wrong they were uh, at the moment of his suffering now this again Isaiah is prophesying to the Jews looking back at Christ when they realize he was the Messiah but the Jews are not the only one who'll be surprised and amazed Um, go back one chapter to Isaiah 52 and we're going to part of that Um, and 52 um, 14 and it just says just as many were astonished at you um, there are obviously others who are going to be astonished to learn that he was in verse 13 that he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted uh, people are always amazed to see Christ Um, who was so exalted, so lifted up, and then 14 talk of being astonished, and his appearance marred as how much suffering he uh, endured for them. And then in verse 15, it says, Kings will shut their mouths on account of him for what they had not been told them they will see and what they had not heard they will understand. We're we're seeing that the, the kings um, gives them a totally different perspective. They see one thing, that this was a man who died on a cross, but when he is exalted and lifted up on high, they see a completely different thing. You know, someday the sovereign kings of the world are going to witness the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of of, of of Jesus Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And we see that promised for us in a future book of prophecy, Revelation eleven fifteen. Isaiah fifty two thirteen says Christ. Uh, Let's see here. In fifty two thirteen, it says, my, pro, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Um, and the amazement of the world's sovereign is going to be aptly testified to this rule that when they see him lifted up, they will be mouth shut. Um, and, uh, you know, Jesus rules... Um, and recognize him as the wise, benevolent king. Also, in fifty-two, in fifteen, it says, "Thus he will sprinkle many nations." Uh, under the Levitical system, the system the priests uh, of Israel used sprinkling to cleanse themselves. And if you want to go back to Leviticus four six. And 8.17, you find sprinkling there also uh, was the idea of sprinkling uh, the Gentiles who put um, their trust in Jesus. Nations, in this verse... sprinkle many nations can speak of individual gentiles as it does uh, here uh, from the beginning the, this magnificent passage makes evident that the messiah will have a ministry not only limited to the jewish people to many nations that extends to the gentiles as well now if you go back to Isaiah 53, we're going to go forward to 53 now. We're going to grab a couple verses and we're going to see about this promise of this salvation. First, in verse 5, and it says that uh, in verse 5 uh, that he uh, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquity, the chastening for our well being fell upon him uh... in the king james you you get the idea that uh, it says by his stripes we are healed um, and that's quoted by peter and applied to the salvation of the soul um, who in first peter two twenty four and twenty five is talking about that uh... uh that jesus bare his sins on his body on the tree by the stripes we were healed for we were sheep going astray, but now have returned to the, sh- the shepherd, the bishop of your souls. Peter uses these verses to indicate that Christ is both the sacrifice and the shepherd who provides the salvation for those who turn to Him. Now we did make the comment uh, that six says all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. The all have gone a- astray, and my, the Messiah broke, bore the iniquity. Of us all, Um, you know, the 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 chastening fell upon him; Uh, he bore all of it. Now, that does not automatically follow that all um, will avail themselves through the sacrifice by faith to be saved. Um, If you go to verse ten of this same passage, Isaiah talks about um, that. The Lord was pleased to crush him and put him to grief. But if he would render himself as a guilt offering, uh, he is an offering for the sin. And you have to accept the offering that is done in your place. Um, As we talked earlier, Christ's suffering was the the effort the travail uh the 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 suffering that he went through would produce um uh, his born again children paul uses the same analogy when he's talking about his um work of evangelism he says that the little children he said i work Uh, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you and the King James is how I remember it was that you know that he works uh, in birth that that for typically as I can remember when my children were born and my grandchildren were born and I think most children there is work for the mother who has to experience labor Uh, For a child to be born and for a person to be born again someone somewhere has to work Slash travail to undergo that for that person's soul Uh, And then look at uh, verse 11 Um, And it says in there it says by his knowledge the righteous one my servant will justify many Uh, his knowledge uh, there uh, could refer to the knowledge the Messiah possess but it could also uh, refer to the knowledge of Jesus Christ necessary for salvation to understand and the verse seems to view that idea may be better than the first one certainly man needs a knowledge of Christ and his redemptive work to be saved. And that's really the underlying idea of Romans 10. So let's look there. So turn with me as we look to Romans 10, uh, verses 13 to 15. We'll be back with that here in just a second. So turn with me to Romans 10, 13 through 15. And as I read that, I want you to answer the question to yourself, what part... Do believers play in spreading the gospel message Romans 1013 15 for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved how then will they call on him whom they've not believed and how will they believe in him who they've not heard and how will they hear without a preacher and how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written how beautiful are those who bring the good news of things so we got a question, you know. We have the part that it is, is God provides salvation for all people. And believers play a role by carrying the message of the good news. you know. And as we've said in Isaiah, it's even prophesied, and we see it in the New Testament, that this good news, the salvation for all people, both Jew and Gentile, but they have to know about salvation before they can accept the offer. God has designed it that people would hear the gospel from others who have already accepted Christ." Now let's go back for just a second. I'll find that here. And let's go back to our passage in Isaiah 53. And we're going to see a section that our lesson is entitled, The Supplication for the Sinners. And that's in verse 12 of chapter And therefore it says, I'll find that here and interceded for the transgressions that's the very last part of that you know he interceded he made intercession for those who were sinners who were the transgressors they're the ones whose transgressions nailed him to the cross Who's our sins that's us his uh, intercession involved the prayers of both those who rejected him and those who receive him um, you know, on the, the cross, if you look to that passage in Luke 22, 34, it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, that's a, a, a classic passage. And, you know, I was, for one, has always assumed that Jesus was just referring to the soldiers who had pounded the spikes into his wrists and into his his ankles, uh, you know, referring to those people that put him on the cross but 53 6 in isaiah says for the for the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him we are responsible for crucifying the lord jesus christ could we be in that group that jesus was praying for on the cross could you could i be that person that Jesus was praying for when he said, Father, forgive. Maybe put your name in there for just a second and think about that. For they did not know what they were doing. You know, uh, this again, remember that Isaiah 53 is written from the the, the view of the Jews who had assessed that they had mistaken about Christ, and they looked at the crucifixion. For those men, Jesus' prayer was answered, and they were forgiven. Now another part that we will see is not only the supplication of the sinners, but the final thing we'll be looking at in Isaiah 53.12 is the supremacy of the Savior. Now on that terrible day of crucifixion, it had to have looked to the world as a terrible defeat for Jesus such an end for one who had done so much good but it wasn't the end we know from our perspective that the resurrection morning came he arose and later ascended into heaven where he sits now at the right hand of God the Father and one day is going to return and when he does the scenario is going to be completely different but Isaiah pictures the Messiah here in fifty-three, twelve. As a conquering king. And look at the words. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong. Now here we're talking about. Something the Jews of Isaiah's day would understand. The idea of a conquering king who claimed the spoils of war. And shared them with his soldiers. With his men. The kings of israel had done that very thing if you want to see that go to genesis 14 verses 16 through 24 also in first samuel 30 20 through 26 the assyrian kings were doing that very thing to israel at the time they were dividing the spoils of war with the northern kingdom as they 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 took out of everything of value but here isaiah is promising That believers are going to receive a portion of the inheritance in Christ's kingdom. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We see that in Romans 8.17. And we will reign with him in the millennial kingdom. We see that in Revelation 2.26, 27, 3.21, and 20 uh, verses 4 and 6. But here it says that he is going to... Uh, divide the booty with the strong, and he is going to be um why because he poured out himself to death um, now, you go back that one chapter fifty two thirteen we talked about how he is going to be high and lifted up let's go fifty two thirteen And it says, Behold, my servant will prosper, and he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And Isaiah, if you remember back in 6.1, when we opened up the beginning of this, we talked about he had seen the Lord high and lifted up. Those two words are uh, translated here, high and lifted up. We see them translated into the King James as exalted and extolled. In this regal position in Philippians 2, 9 and 11, John envisions him uh, as king of king and lord of lords in Revelation uh, 19.6, who has received the kingdoms of the world in 11.15. This is the beginning of his glorious reign. A crown is going to follow the cross imagine to the chagrin of christ's enemies of those who rejected him and belittled his followers that someday they are going to acknowledge him as lord remember the bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus is the lord now just for fun i want you to think of a couple notorious people who are going to seem out of place acknowledging jesus as lord now studying what god has in store in the future maybe should be more than just an intellectual pursuit for us maybe it should motivate us into a more godly living or instill in us a a burning desire to warn the unsaved of their fate Um, let's look at one final verse let's turn together to second peter Uh, 3.11. And I'll go grab it and I'll be right back. Now I've got it. 2 Peter 3.11. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I don't know maybe we need to think about it but here's a question to also add to that what is it about the gospel message that makes you so afraid to share it take a minute or two and really ask God to reveal to you down deep inside what it is that makes you afraid to share it or why aren't we more excited to share it I just want to encourage you as learners as Bible studiers, as classmates to see that sharing the gospel is simply the common sense thing to do. And you know this week that I'll be praying for you to have boldness to share the gospel message this week and that their boldness might grow to the point that they will share the gospel regularly. Going back to, in what manner should we live? How should we share the gospel? Next week, we're going to start looking at the two-part study on the Messiah's kingdom. We will see you again next week, and have a great week.